0: thank you very much uh, for being with us today. It's it's a great honor uh, to have you on. And when you and I talked for the first time, I told you that my first job in racing in the uh, 94, I believe, was with Castrol. And at that time, Castrol was sponsoring the trust driven uh, by Andy Green. An ex-British uh, 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 pilot, and that's when they broke the sound barrier. So, I've been following uh, Land Speed for many, many, many years, and I'm absolutely delighted to uh, have you participated in uh, Race Industry Week 2021. So, when we have you on, let's carry on, Mister Gilly. Let you take over.
1: Thank you, Francis. Really appreciate it. Um, Joining us now, Dennis Sullivan, the Utah Salt Flats Racing Association president. Dennis, welcome to Race Industry Week. So happy to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, you know, give us an overview because I, I, gosh, I think if, uh, you know, for me and I'm 50 years old, I mean, people have always been fascinated by speed and hearing about the Bonneville Salt Flats and everything that goes on down there. And I know a lot of people think about chasing the ultimate speed, um, but there's obviously like a lot of different types of racing out there or whatever it might be, different categories, different classes, new records being broken all the time and, you know, people writing their name into the record book as well. So, you know, give us a little bit of an overview of what you guys do, when you do it, all of that.
2: We There's several uh, land speed events that are held. One is held by the Southern California Timing Association in August. We come back and we run in September, and then they come back and run in October. We use the same rule books, and all the records go into the same book. All of our vehicles are wheel driven. We don't have any of the jet cars. Uh, that set the ultimate record. So everything we uh, run has to be wheel powered. Uh, Given that we do have one vehicle has already exceeded 500 miles an hour with wheel power. Wow. (laughs) That, that is,
1: I mean, that really is incredible to think that um, with wheel power that can happen. And, you know, obviously someone has to have the guts to be able to go out there and make that attempt because when you do that, you don't, it's not just one, one, one and done, right? I mean, you actually have to repeat it the other way. Is
2: that right? Yes. Well, it used to be we ran both ways, but the Salt Flats has deteriorated to the point that we can only run one way now, which prevents us from running any uh, FIA type records. We used to, most of your FIA high speed records were set at Bonneville. Now they've had to go other places. I know the the bloodhound is looking at a desert in uh, Africa, and, and some of the other people are going other places. Um, so it's, it's created a deal. So, but what you do is you run down one direction, and you have five time miles. And at the end of those miles, if you exceed the existing record, you go back to impound. You have one hour to get back to impound. Uh, You're allowed to do general maintenance, you know, if you need to on a fuel motor, if you need to change oil, if something happened to a tire, you can't change motors, you can't do any major. And then the next morning, early in the morning, we bring you back and you have to make a second pass. And if the average of those two passes exceeds the record, and then you go back to impound and they check your car to make sure it meets all the, the rules and the engine size and stuff. And if that happens, then you are now the record holder. And land speed racing is truly one of the last bastions of amateur sports. If you set a record, and I don't care how much you spend on your car, some of them are million dollar cars, some of them are built in a one car garage. All you get out of it is you get your name in a book and you get bragging rights.
1: Wow, that's it. But you know what? The passion for it. I mean, and and people have a true passion to 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 want to go out there and do that and and continue to chase speed. You know, as time goes on and and records do get broken, and I'm sure some records, you know, it might take a while before someone either challenges it or even comes close to it if they are going to put up a challenge. But you know, do you look at this, Dennis, and and I have to think at some point there might be a physical limit for something unless people just keep finding new ways. You know, when when someone's breaking records, how many of these are broken by a big number? How many of these are like,
2: you know, can they just squeak by? And a lot of that also depends on the track conditions. When you go land speed racing, Mother Nature's in charge. She's the one that tells you how good of a track you have or how bad of a track you have. And there are years that you will see records broke by 10, 15, 20 miles an hour. There are other years you may see a record broke by a tenth of a mile an hour or a mile an hour. So it just, a lot of it depends on that. I can remember, because I've been doing this for a long, this and drag racing and and sprint car racing, I can remember when they said that a car could not go a quarter mile faster than 180 miles an hour.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and now we've had to shorten the track by 320 feet and, and still trying to keep them, um, you know, down to just over 300, uh, which is pretty incredible uh, how all of that works. When you have your event, and let's talk about that too, because I know you actually allow spectators and, you know, a lot of different things that go on. Give us an idea of what goes into organizing the event and either... Uh, from the competitor standpoint, someone who wants to go out there and break a record, how they can get involved if they're not already, and even from a spectator standpoint of some of the different things that are, are, are part of the event.
2: As a, as a participant, uh, we tell everybody you buy a rule book and you buy three. You have one next to your bed, one on the back of your toilet, and one in the garage <laughs> because it is pretty thick and there's a lot of different things for the different classes. You pick a class and then you build towards that class. Um, and again, we have professionally built cars and we have cars built in single car garages, maybe even in carports. And all of them have the potential to set records. Um, so we, and, and we to try to encourage, and, and I've listened to the other uh, promoters and stuff, and they talked about some of the problems of getting younger people interested. And land speed racing is the same way. You know, we, we do have the grandfathers that raced in 1949, and we, now their sons race. Now they have grandsons racing. But as far as bringing the younger people out that don't have that lineage to land speed racing, it's getting harder and harder. So we encourage, and we go around and we promote the high schools to bring on one day of our event, they bring out their automotive students or their SEM students. There's been day, times we've had as many as 12 school buses come out that are full of young kids that are interested in this. And our event, you can go through the pits, you can go down to the starting line. Uh, and it's sometimes it's like herding cats when you get that many teenagers around. But to try to get them interested in it, and uh, the last two years we've actually started a deal where we go to a different school each year and we ask them to provide us with 12 students that are really interested in this and at our drivers meeting on the very first day I asked the race teams if anybody would be interested into taking one of these kids and mentoring them and every one of them gets picked and they get to go, they get to turn wrenches, they get to ride in a push car, uh, they get to chase the vehicle down. And most of them wanna know how they can get back to do it again. And that's one of the things we're trying to get youth really involved in this type of uh, environment.
1: It sounds like just the ultimate for some sort of STEM program with any school, just to be able to get more involved in that. I mean, that's, you know, incredible what, uh, and that's a fun thing in learning, especially for kids involved in something like that.
2: It is. And and they enjoy it. And like I say, they can go right to the starting line. You know, you go to NASCAR and you go to NHRA, you can't go right to the starting line and stand almost next to a car as it leaves. You don't get a chance to go through the pits and the people in land speed racing, cause they're not racing for money. They're not, they're, they're the nicest people and they'll offer you water. They'll ask you if you have any questions. And for these young kids, that's fantastic for them to actually be acknowledged for their presence there.
1: What makes the salt flats the place to do something like this?
2: Well, one thing is the distance. The other thing is the flatness of it. And the third is There is a giant lake underneath the Bonneville Salt Flats. There's a salt lake underneath it, and there's a constant moisture coming up off the salt, Um, not wet, but like 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 kind of like a swamp cooler coolness, and it helps cool the tires. And it is literally so flat that you can see the curvature of the Earth on the Bonneville Salt Flats.
1: Wow, that's pretty neat. You mentioned earlier about um, being able to go one way because things are deteriorating. What, what is that and why?
2: The reason in the 30s and the 40s, when the English came here, Cobb and, and Easton and stuff, the tire manufacturers didn't know what was going to happen to the tires. So they came and they took core samples and temperatures and stuff. We know from their documents that the, the, the halite thickness, that's the salt on top, averaged 18 inches since 1917 when they started mining this the salt flats now if we can find two inches anywhere on the salt flats we get excited we went from 13 and 14 mile racetrack to now we have a five mile racetrack with two miles of questionable shutdown area
1: wow that's a huge difference right there um where do you see this going
2: Well, the Save the Salt organization has been trying to uh, get the salt put back on. When they mine it, they don't mine it for the salt. They're mining it for the potash that's in the salt. The potash makes up less than 3% of the minerals that are taken off the salt flats. And the way it's mined is in the wintertime, the Bonneville salt flats is completely covered with water, just a natural phenomenon there is what they call a federal ditch that runs down the east side. It's 17 miles long, 40 feet wide, 20 feet deep. So in the, uh, in the winter, between gravity and wind and stuff, that ditch gets filled up with water. Of course, the salt and everything comes up into a solution. It's pumped under the freeway. The mining company puts it in these giant holding ponds. And then in the spring and the summer, when the water starts to evaporate, they monitor it. And the first thing that falls out is the salt because it's the heaviest. Then they'll move it to another pond until they get the point that they have the potash that they can remove. The rest of it just sits in these ponds. And we know from documents that there is in excess of 250 million tons of salt on the south side of the freeway that used to be on the north side of the freeway. So we're trying to get it moved back using the same process. We flood their drying beds to the salt, bring it back in solution and pump it on. Uh, but it takes money. It's not going to be done free. The, the mining company is a, a for-profit company. They didn't do anything wrong. So it's a matter of trying to get the funding. We have got state funding. We've got federal funding. It's trying to get it down through the bureaucratic process to where we can actually start pumping salt back on. The previous mining company that owned it in 97, 98, 99, and 2000, they wanted to clean out some of these ponds. So they averaged a million and a half tons of salt put back on the salt flats every year for five years. We actually have NASA photos that show the salt flats grew every year, which means if it's getting bigger, it's getting thicker. So when they quit doing that, it just started shrinking again. And so we're in the process of trying to get that done. But it's taken us years and years. The first letter of concern was sent in 1960 to the Department of the Interior. And we've been fighting ever since then to try to get it back.
1: Wow, but it is something that physically can be reclaimed. It just takes all the money. It takes time
2: and it takes money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, at least there's hope in something like that. You know, looking at the records that were set um, just this past September, a couple of months ago, um, you see records that were set at over 300 miles per hour. You see records that were set at 92 miles per hour. So, you know, Dennis, kind of give us an idea of some of the different classes and what we see, because, again, a speed record is speed in your class, not necessarily a big overall speed to try and, you know, hit the 500 and some odd miles per hour, like you were saying
2: the slowest record set at the world of speed is 45 miles an hour. The fastest record is 487 miles an hour. So we have 50 CC motorcycles. We have, uh, the Turbinator, which is a turbine powered, uh, streamliner is still wheel driven, but he run 487 is his record. He's also the car that did go one way 503, um, So we have vintage classes where they're not allowed any type of electronic stuff. Uh, Flathead motors, old flathead four cylinders. Uh, We have our vintage classes are old roadsters. I personally hold a record with a 1927 Model T with a two liter motor. Uh, And we have we have we have a roadster, a 34 roadster that's gone 311 miles an hour in the 1934 roadster. So we have production classes, we have truck classes, we have diesel classes, we have electric classes. I know the the score guy talked about electric. We've had electric classes for probably 20 years, but they were all streamliner type classes. And uh, we just had a person go 350 miles an hour with an electric car and they claim that they still have about 40% more pedal to to go. Um, We've had electric motorcycle classes. I'm sure with the uh, automobile industry starting to produce electric trucks, electric cars, that we're going to have to expand to start accepting classes for those type of vehicles.
1: Oh, yeah. And when you say streamliner, that's, you know, typically what we see coming out of there, the image is like what effectively looks like an airplane with no wings, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. Long, skinny, everything's tucked in very, very aerodynamic. Most of them have a stabilizing fin on top. Uh, They're, and they've been equated to trying to put 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound hat, uh, because of all the stuff they try to put inside that little tiny body. So.
1: You know, it's interesting, too, Dennis, Um, a lot of people that we talk to and interact with in the racing industry, whether it be circle track racing or road course racing, talking about off roads, you know, a lot of the rule books are pretty, pretty strict in what they do, because in that type of environment, um, whatever sanctioning body it might be, might be looking for parity. And they're talking about spec parts and different things like that. And I know a lot of people who are mechanics and innovators would really love to go out there and just try different things and innovate more. Sounds like you have about the best outlet for that.
2: You'll go out there and you'll pick any one class and you'll see five different vehicles that are in that class and not two of them look exactly the same. And it is, it's, it's, it's the engineer's dream to go out there and figure out how you can make it go faster. Most of our rules are safety rules. And unfortunately, a good portion of those are written in blood and, there is some parity. Uh, it's like our our four-cylinder flathead old engines. It got to the point that people were actually gutting the inside of a block and building a brand new motor inside of an old Ford flathead four-cylinder. So sometimes you have to to make rules to to do get the parity. And I had our our. Uh, The guy that certifies the records tell me that because of racers and their ability to think outside of the box, the rule book went from 15 pages to about 250 pages.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Um, But, you know, and again, here on ePartrade, if you just go through the ePartrade website, you can find so many vendors and suppliers of different types of products and all of that using what happens out there on the salt flats as a proving ground, you know, if you want to be able to say, Hey, my pistons were in this car or, you know, my cylinder heads did this, whatever it might be, how much of that do you see? And and again, I, I think I even asked, you know, Jim was score this, how much of an untapped market is it for people who are out there with products to sell and showcase? Um,
2: It obviously it is an untapped market. I don't know how big it is. Um, you do see some sponsorship, but when you only held one race or two races a year, and again, nobody's doing it for money. Nobody's doing it for a profession. Um, People do get sponsors, but it's hard to even get a sponsor for the event because it's only, for us, it's one, four days a year for the California guys. It's two events. It equates to about uh, uh, seven days. So it's hard to get a big sponsorship we have in the past one year fiat came because they wanted to run some cars they came and they sponsored a whole, our whole event so it's hard sometimes to get that type of stuff
1: yeah yeah um a couple of things from the chat here one of them electric cars have been cited but what about the development of synthetic fuels um are they does that apply in the sector
2: right what we've done in the past if someone has come uh, and we do have what they call a time only class where if your car doesn't meet a specific class or something, uh, you can come and run for time. Only we give you an official slip. All of our courses are surveyed. All of our, uh, timing equipment is, is certified. And we've had all different kinds. We actually had a, one of the universities brought a Ranger pickup that ran on wood. It had a, they burned wood and it ran it. We've had uh, um, diesel that was made out of organic material. They, uh, one of the universities come. We get a lot of stuff from universities where they want to do something different. And they will come for time only to get a speed to see what their cars do. So, uh, and, and if, a, if, a, if a fuel, we have gas classes and fuel classes. All the gas classes have to be a specified gasoline. And it's not just one spec, we have like five different specs of gasoline, different octanes and, and some are, are uh, leaded and some are unleaded. Uh, and if you don't fit in there, then you go into a fuel class, which allows alcohol, nitromethane, uh, nitrous, uh, pretty much anything you want. Um, so there is, and then if you bring a vehicle out that doesn't have a specific class, But it meets everything else. We have a gentleman that ran a 32 Ford Roadster with the diesel engine in a gas class because it met all the specifications. But there wasn't a class for the diesel. So he was allowed to compete against the gasoline engines. So we try to accommodate people that come out.
1: That's really neat. Uh, Lynn St. James in the chat. uh, Welcome, by the way. Uh, When I ran there in 2017, I was so amazed to see a group of school buses arrive. It's so smart because there are so many innovative and unique technologies going on. It's a great learning experience for students to learn and see all types of technology. And, you know, quite honestly, Dennis, to me, that that might be one of the more fascinating things about the whole program is not necessarily even just watching a car make a high speed run, but watching what goes into that, what you would actually see in the pit area.
2: And that's what's so unique is because you can go in the pit area, or, or you can go to where we do our inspections, our safety inspection. You can actually even go into the impound and watch him check a car for, legality. And you can stand there and they pull all the body panels off and they go through it and they look at it. Same thing in the pitch. You can see them tearing motors apart. We have some racers that will come with three or four different motors to run in three or four different classes or the motorcycle guys, we tease them because we tell them, all you got to do is take a set of pegs off and you're in a different class. So they'll run, some motorcycle guys will run six, seven different classes in in, in in the four days a week they're there. So it, we like it. We think it's a good thing to bring the youth in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, even even for uh, old guys like us too, because um, it is fascinating. I, I have to wonder, standing there watching them, you know, tear apart a car, just how many people are there with the, oh, that's how they did that. Or wow, what a great idea they had there. I mean, how much innovation that you see when you know what you're looking at.
2: Yeah. It is, it's a unique place. And, and it's unique in a lot of different things. And I, and I tell people, because nobody's there for money, I have literally seen people take parts off their car and loan it to somebody else so they can break the guy that loaned the parts, his record, because now I have a challenge to go get it back. And that's what's unique about Bonneville.
1: That is pretty unique. Um, some people might be surprised by this answer, but Don Taylor wanted to know, is there a formal class for barstool racers?
2: There used to be. We used to have, bar stools came, and, and we actually, the fastest speed a bar stool has gone is 62 miles an hour sitting. And they, and they had some rules. You couldn't have a lay down bar stool. You had to sit on it and, and deal. And they actually broke it into two classes They broke it into what they call a stock class and a streamline class. The streamline had a fairing that came around the, the rider and the deal. And they actually went 62. And because we're smaller than the California Club, we get 150 to 200 cars. California has had as many as 600 competitors, so we can accept a lot of things that are unique and different. We've had unicycles. We've had uh, people wanting to run the fastest motorhome. So if, if we we tell them, okay, here's the safety rules, and you if you can do that. Um, just all different kinds of things. I mean, we do set the limit on some stuff. We've had some people ask, "Well, can I put a stainless steel toilet on my motorcycle and become the world's fastest toilet?" And we go, "No, no, no." But but we had two years ago. We had a and and she's not the only one to do it. But we had a young lady, uh, Denise Mueller, that brought a bicycle out, and it's called an assisted. She's behind a fairing, so she doesn't have to fight the wind. But she does have to pedal for one mile by herself. They tow her up to a certain speed, and then she has to pedal for one mile. And it's, it's a Guinness record because there isn't a class for it. But she actually pedaled a bicycle 184 miles an hour. Are you? Wh- wow. <laughs> you, you, can, you can go on YouTube. You can go to Guinness. You can actually watch the photos and stuff. It's amazing that i'd love to see the
1: gearing on that that's that's incredible
2: yeah it goes the crank pedal to another jack shaft and then back to the and and so it was it was interesting she had to wear leathers just like a motorcycle guy she had to wear a motorcycle helmet she couldn't wear so she was she had some safety constrictions and she did it it was amazing
1: that really is Uh, another question here which to me again is just fascinating uh the age of the oldest driver you recall competing and also the youngest
2: our our limit is you have to have a driver's license you can't be under 16 and compete i know that there are people out there that are in their mid 80s if not older that are competing and setting records
1: wow well, Dennis, to me, the most incredible thing is it's not just what people can do, because it, for someone who goes one speed, someone who's going to want to go faster, but it is the innovation. It is the engineering that goes into all of it. It is just the unique things that you might see. Um, and again, for someone who you know, is in one form of racing that really wants to expand what they do because they wouldn't be as limited to a rule book, I can't think of a better place to be able to go there and showcase ideas.
2: It's a, it's a fantastic place. And, and it's a, it's a bucket list place. Uh, I spend a lot of time out there either looking for a racetrack or during the races or other things, going out and repairing equipment. And I see lots and lots of tourists that come there and a lot of foreign tourists come there. And as I get talking with them, it's interesting, because it seems like the foreign tourists that come to the West, their itinerary is Yellowstone Bonneville, Grand Canyon, and Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's perfect.
2: Well, that's good. Well, Dennis, thank you so much. This has really just been a fascinating conversation, and I need to add it to my list for sure. It's it's a place that I tell people, if you want to know what it feels like to go to another planet, you come to the Bonneville Salt Flats because you think you're on another planet. Wow. There is, there is no other place like this. There is two other places. One's at 12,000 feet. And the other one is 120 miles on a dirt road to get to it. We're (laughs) seven miles from a major place that has hotels and food and, and stuff. So there's no place like this.
1: Wow. Well, thank you again, Dennis. We really appreciate you.
0: industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of e trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. e trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase, globally, your racing product and technology.
1: There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39 with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.